Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey there, and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. I am Brenda, the HR Lady, and I thank you for listening to this extra special show. It is our 100th episode, and if you can see the smile on my face right now, it's all teeth. (laughs) I'm so excited. It's a great opportunity, great milestone to pass, and you know what? It's just only going to get better, and I love it. So if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for returning for yet another episode. 100. Holy cow. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I'm here to help share with you the strategic and the tactical HR knowledge so that you can master the what and the how in this field because I'm in the human business, and that means there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. Don't be marginally happy. That is the theme for this year. Your success begins and ends with you. Give to never receive in this business, but invest in yourself to keep the balance. Build a strong working relationships with your company leaders. Huge. You focus on those things and you are going to go far, which is how I'd like to introduce our next guest, our 100th guest. So we're, we're not even doing the normal stuff because this episode is so awesome. And you guys have heard me talk about how HR and the CEOs need to come together. Well, you know what? I got a powerhouse of a CEO on with us today, and he's fantastic. Flew out to California. We actually uh, shot the episode in his studio outside in Chino Hills, which is about an outside of LA, and an hour outside of LA. And uh, so this is also on video as well over on YouTube. So if you go to Brenda the HR Lady over at YouTube, you can actually watch the full episode, or you can happily drive along or work out or garden or whatever it is that you're doing and listen to what's coming up. So cannot wait till you hear Bedros. He's awesome. He's an absolute gentleman, very gracious individual, very direct, very smart and extremely good at what he does. And I cannot wait till you guys hear what he has to say. Hang on just for a little bit and you'll hear it real soon. There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future. 
to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. For the first time, I am not stuck in a little closet of an office behind a microphone with a dog chewing on my arm. I'm actually here for the 100th episode, and we are here in Chino Hills, California. It's a big monument, big milestone episode, and I am so excited to be here. And we're interviewing Bedros Koulian today, who is a powerhouse of a CEO, and uh, his graciousness, uh, and they invited us in to do this for a big milestone. So thank you well, very much. Well, first off, congratulations thank you. on 100 episodes. I did not know that. Yeah. I feel like now I have to live to a higher standard. <laughs> <clears throat> and thank you for coming out and having me on your show. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. This, mm -hmm. is, this is awesome. This yeah, is great. Yeah, we built out quite the studio, so I'm glad we get to use it with you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I'm glad you're using it too. That's awesome. So would you please do me a favor? Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot about you because I, I follow you. Sure. We've communicated. <clears throat> but would you please help people understand a little bit about your background? Yeah, so my background's uh, a, a little different than the average person. I'm an immigrant to the United States, mm -hmm. for one. Um, my family and I escaped the Soviet Union in 1980 when I was six years old and came to the United States as political refugees. My dad was a member of the Communist Party. And um, his whole thing was, even though he was a member of the Communist Party, he loved the idea of freedom, of democracy, of capitalism. And so we came to the United States, and his whole thing was that I'm going to work, and I'm going to live the American dream with my family. And he raised us, when I say us, myself and older brother, older sister, with the idea of uh, you can become and do anything you want so long mm -hmm. as you help the people around you. And years later, I realized that was a Zig Ziglar quote as well, as you can get everything you want in life as long as you help enough people get what they want. And so I grew up with that mindset of service and helping others, and... I kind of got into the fitness world through just being a fat kid throughout elementary school and high school, and I couldn't find a date for prom, so <laughs> senior year of high school, the only thing that motivated me to work out was this girl. I wanted to ask her to the prom. Her name was Nakaya, so I lost like 20 pounds, 25 pounds, and I thought, you know, that would be it. She'd say yes. The thing was, I was too nervous to ask her, so I never made it to the prom, which was okay because I realized fitness was my passion. And so I kind of, from there, went and got certified after high school and had multiple jobs. I mean, worked at Disneyland as a fry cook, was a part-time trainer at a big box gym. And then on the weekends, I was a bouncer at a bar because I didn't have enough money to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. But you fast forward a decade or so, then I had my own gyms. I, I was coaching and consulting other personal trainers. And then you fast forward another decade, and our franchise, Fit Body Boot Camp, came to be at around 2010, 
and that was pretty neat because the housing market had crashed in mm -hmm. 2008. Yep. And so, well, people couldn't afford one-on-one -on -one personal training. It was too expensive. So I got this goofy idea that if we took the outdoor boot camp that happens in parks and we bring it indoors, we can make it weatherproof, right? They could do it in Virginia, they could yep. do it in California, anywhere. and anywhere in between. That's right. And so now it's become an international franchise with hundreds of locations worldwide, and I've got an HR department. Yeah, yeah. So it turns out humans have emotions, and oh, they have insecurities, and they have needs and wants, and <laughs> I thought everybody would come in here and just charge ahead. So no. it's been quite the experience growing <laughs> sure into a leader yeah. and understanding it really is like the, the term HR, you never really think about it until you're in my seat. Yeah. And you realize that every human is a resource. Totally. Is an actual resource, yep. no different than Google is a resource and Facebook is a resource. And then you have to realize that those resources do have needs, emotions, and wants, and how do I work with them? So there I am. Yeah, there's a big learning curve going through all of that, as yeah. most people are. And, you know, that's the thing about, you know, HR. And, and this is perfect because a lot of... Up-and-coming entrepreneurs, <clears throat> a lot of up-and-coming business leaders, mm -hmm. they know HR is important. And I've heard you even say this on your podcast, on The Empire Show. We know it's important, and you have to do it. And that's where it stops, right? Yeah. That's always where it stops. So you have these uh, HR professionals that come in, or people that I refer to them as champions, who are themselves an up-and-coming in the HR field, right? Because mm -hmm. they're championing the cause. And... But the only thing that they know how to do is incite fear in the leader's eyes to get them to snap out and work through that. So with a high-performing CEO like you, I thought this was a great opportunity to kind of talk, see how HR and CEOs can come together and actually build a really good relationship. Because in our world, <clears throat> our credentialing, our resources, magazine articles, all this stuff, out there, they always say it, but nobody really actually kind of breaks it down. And I think what I, it kind of struck this idea is that between the two of us bouncing off, because again, I, I, I pretty much know where you're going with a lot of things just mm -hmm. based off of your success levels sure. at the level that I've played off, that we could probably help some people out, including any other business leaders who are actually listening to this yeah. today. And listen, as someone who has now, <clears throat> this is so weird, right? I mean, here we are in 2021 <laughs> now and around 2015, we started hitting those big, we started having hockey stick years yeah. where we hit the Inc. 500 list, Inc. 5000 list, Entrepreneur Magazine's uh, uh, top 200 fastest growing franchises. And so our team's growing, our franchise is growing, the brand is growing, and with that, the problems grow as yeah. well. And quite frankly, the HR leader that I have now is my second HR person. Previous to that, I had another HR person, great human being, but... What I've noticed is that most leaders and CEOs want to charge ahead. Totally. And then we'll figure it out as we go. <clears throat> and typically it's the team behind you who figures it out and takes the chaos and puts some kind of sense to it. HR, on the other hand, wants to figure it all out and then charge ahead. Mm -hmm. That creates a very adversarial relationship. Yes, it does. And as I now can <clears throat> sit back and put myself in your shoes as HR, you're like, look, you hired me to keep you away from lawsuits to make sure that you're complying to state, federal regulations. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to do my job, but now we're having confrontation. Yeah. I think the best thing, in my opinion, that a leader like me could do is really explain, and I didn't do that the first time around. 
to the head of HR, here's my vision. I'm an, I'm, so I was saying I'm an eagle. So here's another thing. I'm an eagle. I'm fine. <laughs> um, have you heard of, well, you're very familiar, I'm sure, with the DISC assessment. Oh, very much right? so. Right. Yeah. So there's a company out there called Taking Flight. And we hired them to come in here and basically do that personality mm-hmm. test for us. Yep. But instead of the letters of DEISC, whatever, they assign a bird to your personality. Mm-hmm. So I'm a high eagle. I'm a driver. Yep. And then there's the doves, the caretakers and supporters. And then there's the owls who want to cross T's and dot I's. And mm-hmm. they're described, she described them as they are the <clears throat> brakes in a business. Yep. They're always trying to pump the brakes. And then there's the parrots, the kind of outgoing and, right? And so as I see that, as we're sitting in the other room in my, in my building here, and I've got, you know, all my team there, and everyone's kind of broken down into, oh, that's an owl, that's the eagle table, that's the whatever. I realize, oh my gosh, the people that I'm thinking I have the most friction with, they're sitting in that dove and owl tables. Mm-hmm. They're just supporters. They're doing what I've hired them to do, yet I'm having this confrontation with them. Right. So what I found is, as a second time around with an HR person, after we parted ways with our first, so here's my vision, and I'm an eagle, I'm a driver, uh, but I don't want to end up in jail. I don't want to drive myself to jail or to a, a court hearing or any kind of litigation. So with that in mind, I'm willing to operate in the mm-hmm. gray, but I'm not going to go to the dark gray, but we're not going to be solid white either. Right. And so once I set those expectations, I said, now let's communicate we had a much better relationship than the first time around. Yep, that's awesome. And here's the really cool thing. I'm listening to this analogy that you're using with the birds, right? <clears throat> Every one of those birds has a different view of the world and of yes. the business. So the eagle is flying at that very, very high altitude. You can see, you can see the horizon. You can see the path forward. You're not looking at the details, even though your eyesight's really sharp still, right? You're not looking at the details. But when you have those doves, they're only going to be a couple hundred feet up off the ground. They're, choke, they're only going to be the ones who are, uh, you know, really attentive to the details, making sure that gets done, things get done. They are your steady eddies, mm-hmm. right? Steady eddies. Your steady eddies. Mm-hmm. Your owls are the ones who are, they take that moment and pause and they think through things and then they move forward, yeah. right? So it's really interesting. I have the same kind of analogy I use with airplanes, right? When you fly at 30,000 feet, you see the same thing. Your people are gonna fly at about 5,000 feet and then your managers are gonna elevate anywhere between 20 to 10. Sure, that's a good way to draw that picture. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the dynamic that we have to figure out together when mm-hmm. we work together. Now, here's the other dynamic. And this is for people who don't really quite yet know how to do this. How does an HR person jump in the freight in front of the freight train that is Bedros who wants to move forward? And you've got an awesome analogy, and I've actually written about this. Um, you put out an email about the 70-40 rule, and about mm-hmm. how if you could explain that really quick, then yeah. I'll tag on my segment of sure, it. Sure, sure. Uh, so let's give credit where credit is due. The 70-40 rule is by General Colin Powell. Yep. In his book, he talks about, he says, look, as a decision maker, as a leader, as a general, I just need as little as 40% of the information and I can execute Mm -hmm. on a decision. May not be the right decision. And if it's not, I can course correct. Absolutely. And I need as much as 70% to execute. Meaning if the rest of the owls and doves are looking for 100% of the facts before we can execute, 
I'm going to be already halfway down the street. Yeah, totally. Right? And so that 40-70 rule is so important that you need as little as 40% of the information. The rest you figure out as you go, and you may have to course correct. And I'll need as much as 70%, and I'm ready to execute. Because 100% perfect never exists. We live in a place where we have to take imperfect action. Absolutely. And so I love that mentality. And when I read that in his book, I was like, oh, man, that really explains how I operate. And I started sharing that with my team so that they can kind of get on board. Because otherwise it looks like the boss is being chaotic. Like, right, yeah. Right, because when I put myself in their shoes, yep. it's like, he, we don't have all the information. How are we making these decisions? We'll figure it out. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, your number one responsibility as a business owner is to make payroll. Yes. It's not profit. It's to keep the doors open because you have X number of people in your company you have to take care of. Correct. So the 70-40 rule, I love that. And then I actually wrote about it in my audience. I took a lot of what you did and I said, however, when it comes to HR, we can't execute on 70%. And there's a reason why. I'm a business owner. I've got three businesses that I'm building, including you know all of this. So I get it and I appreciate that. But I also understand from an HR perspective that if you don't step back for a minute and partner with your HR and say, this is what I need to do. Here's my timeline. Here's where I have to execute. Or I've already done it and I may not have taken some things into consideration. What do we need to do to shore things up? That communication doesn't exist. Companies may have inadvertently already there's two different types of uh, bad actions, right? There's adverse impact and adverse action. Adverse impact means that on the surface, the company's doing what they think is in the best interest of everything, but there's a detail in there that may have opened them up or likely has opened them up to some form of discrimination mm -hmm. or employment violation, right? An adverse action is a very specific knowing activity. You could terminate somebody. That's adverse action. doesn't mean that you've discriminated or caused anything. It just means that you've done a knowing action. So when you have leaders that move quickly, and then they walk into the, you know, the office of the HR and say, hey, guess what? We've done this. And we go, <gasps> you know, because it plucks our HR nerve. We know that there's something in there that's probably adverse. Sure. But we're not 100% sure what it is unless we get those details. Right. Now we're in that scrambling thing, right? So that's a breakdown that can occur. But it's also something that has to happen. I mean, we've seen you know, pivoting in this pandemic has been right. crazy. And this is a really great example. We've got you know, immunity that's coming out. We've got people that are about ready to you know, get the vaccine. They're working on that. If companies don't fully think through that, and you're here in California, so there's some privacy issues to take into consideration. Although in the best interest that may have been coming out from the CEO to the rest of the, of the team, there could be some major violations, especially when you're not paying attention to what's going on with religion. You're not paying attention to what's going on with people who have disability. What about people who don't believe in it? What about people who are not willing to come out and have those conversations because the company is, doesn't have a legal right to know that? Mm -hmm. So it's very complex. So not having these kinds of conversations can open up. And my job as an HR pro, my number one job is to protect you as the CEO. Yeah, isn't that weird? Because even though that's the number one job I, I, I found, just in asking with a lot of my entrepreneur friends, that there is some tension and friction amongst mm -hmm. that top line leader and the HR pro. And I think the communication is what's missing. Totally. And then the shared vision. Yep. That, that hey, sometimes I may have to move fast, but so long as you know and are willing to kind of dig through the details, and other times, I may have the luxury to come to you and say, this is a move I want to make. Yeah. 
and I need you to tell me good, better, best. Yep, absolutely. And I think where people can start, and if I were to be working with you, one of the first things that I would ask is, what is your number one business objective? Help me understand that. Because that's your 30,000 foot vision right there. Like, you know, car dealers, they sell cars. That's their number one, that's their number one business objective. Mm-hmm. You, gotta, you have a nutrition company. Your number one business objective is to sell your product, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And if anything that's happening that doesn't align with that, it's not a fit. And it's going to turn you off as the CEO. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had some of those suggestions. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when, when you look at most, not all, but most kind of type A, high-speed CEOs, everything is a battle to me. Everything is a battle to us. Mm-hmm. Everything is a war. So it's, if there's a battle or a war, it's only two sides. You're either on my side or the enemy side. Right. And so if something looks to me like you are slowing down my number one objective, mm-hmm. you are no longer on my side, in my mind. Right. And so that's where that communication is important. That's where all the stuff, you know, sitting down together and working through the problem is important. The old me would just say, you obviously don't give two craps about my business and you're just trying to be the HR pro, so peace out. Right. Right. The newer me, uh, I've learned that I can be an eagle, but I have to step into a dove and a owl shoes at times and, and yeah. look through that lens. Yeah. But I think that also comes with some wisdom with age. I'm 46 now at 36. I was just shooting off the hip, right? So, I mean, how do you manage a, a, a younger CEO who's on fire? Like, I would hate to be the HR person of a younger, <laughs> driven CEO. I would too. Seriously. Like, right, seriously. Like, oh my God, this person's going to put me in a grave, you know? Right? I yeah. don't blame you. I wouldn't mind it. I would be like, oh, this, yeah. this may not Maybe you go just demand more well. money. Like, if I was in HR, I'd just like, you're going to pay me double. <laughs> what if you're in your 30s you're paying me double what what i'm supposed to be getting paid and once you're in your 40s it's going to normal <laughs> that's right yeah. once you get to my age yeah. <laughs> but you know i actually had that incidence i had a, i worked with a coo and although he said that hr was very important anytime he would communicate i tell him i said listen i got a laundry list he would always walk into my office 15 minutes before i left and i finally told him i said this is not working and I kind of had to get into his face a little bit about it. And I didn't want to, but I had to. I said, this isn't working. I need you earlier in the day because from the time that I saw you at 9 o'clock to 4.15 or 4.45 or whatever it is, and I'm on my way to go teach a class, I can't, I can't do anything, you know. And then tomorrow it's going to be more of the same kind of a thing. So, you know, that's just an example yeah. of, of commitment behind that communication. And it's like, I, I can't pencil whip this stuff through. It's very complex. And we were government contractors at a time working at a space agency. So he's a nice guy. He's a great guy. But I wasn't at that top of that list. Not me personally, but the function. The, yeah, the function of HR. Right, and, exactly. And that's exactly it. And so much of it is that <clears> because <throat> I will prioritize what matters to me and exactly. do that at 9 a.m., 8 a.m., 7 a.m., and I will kick down the road what doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And, and, I, and I do, with all due respect, think that the HR position is also a sales job. Totally. Now, having seen what you guys do, completely, I believe that the HR pro has a duty and an obligation to sell themselves on the CEO and say, look, I'm on your team. I'm the person that stops the periodic injuries. Like, if you're an athlete... I stop the periodic injuries that make us go two steps forward, three steps back. If you're a race car, I make sure you're perfectly tuned so that we have the best, highest octane gas and best tires on her so that you don't have to make a lot of pit stops. And if mm-hmm. I'm so like, and by the way, some of the best leaders and CEOs are 
great sellers. And if you're a great salesperson, then you love to be sold. And if you can sell me on why I do need to use a little more precaution before shooting off the hip, then I'm going to see you as an ally. And now you become a priority yeah. and not just a 445, let me swing by your office and go, hey, here's what I did and here's what I need you to fix. Bye. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and that, that also takes time, too, because like you said, it's the individual in their self-development, right? Mm -hmm. HR people can't fix culture on our own. We can't fix those things. We can't fix the direction of your vision in a snap. We have to work at it. And it is hard. It can be really hard. Sure. There's a couple of things that... I think are important to call out. Number one, you as a CEO, you own every problem in the business, every single one. Even though you're not the one dealing with it, it's, you own it. It's extreme ownership. The second is, is that your people problems are very different than our people problems or your mid-manager people problems and your process, how you see process problems are very different as well. True. Yeah. Your process problems are gonna be, if this process isn't working, this is a bottleneck in profit and revenue, or revenue, period. And ultimately what happens is that prohibits me from keeping the doors open to pay people and do benefits and deal with the business, the eight, the people side of the business. So if HR pros aren't sitting there understanding the number one business objective, they're not asking questions about what are your people issues and what are your process issues, and then figure out together how HR supports that, it's going to be a lot of that dynamic that mm -hmm. we've been talking about. Yeah. Because that it's not there's not there's no clarity involved, right? So <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that's coming down the pike right now. We've got a new administrator. We got a new president in office. His agenda is drastically different, and this happens all the time. Who's by the way? I've got a question. Yeah. If if Joe Biden is the president now, and when Trump was the president, who's their HR? Like who's the country's? Honestly, like I'm not being a wise guy. Like who's the country's no, their HR? Their attorneys. Is, is that who? Okay. Yeah, that's going to be their attorneys. That's a good question. Yeah. yeah right, because so. I mean, it's, it's, the country's a company and we're, well, yeah. we should be running it profitable, which we're not. A whole other story, but yeah. there's got to be someone in charge of yeah. the people. There, there's going to be somebody in charge. There's going to be a form of an arm of HR in, at the White House, absolutely. Right? And, but that's going to be HR for the staff. This is the. This is this is the grand poobah. Right? Right. <laughs> there's no firing of the grand poobah. Right. And there's only so much control. And and you know, and we know it's very political. We've seen the movies, and you can you know make up and imagine whatever you want. Uh, back actually, back in 2017, I had a very rare uh, opportunity to go to the Capitol and actually advocate for the removal of the Cadillac tax in, under the Affordable Care Act. And the Cadillac tax was if companies want to. Um, provide employer, uh, their employees with a very high-level plan, a rich plan to stay you know, competitive or give their employees the best, regardless of whether they paid for it at 80%, 90%, 95%, 100%, whatever, there was going to be, in 2019, a 40% tax excised on top of that cost. Thanks. So if you're dealing with a $1.6 million benefit, add on 40%, that'll drive business out the door. I mean, mm -hmm. companies will shut down for stuff like that, and it's bad. So I got an opportunity to actually go up and advocate, sat down with the senators and their aides, sat down with, I happened to know the, uh, the congressman, the House, the House of Representatives, two years later got removed. Hmm. It was under the Trump that? administration, it was yeah. removed. So that's kind of a neat thing to be able to, to, be able to do something yeah. like that. It was really, yeah. that was that pretty really awesome. Was impactful, yeah. It was, and, and it wasn't by no means just me. Obviously I was with a you know, contingent, this is something that was worked on by lobbyists for a while, and then under the last administration it got removed. Oh, yeah, so it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But um, but going back to that, I love the question. <clears throat> um, yeah, 
<laughs> you got me on that one. I got you on you that got one. me on that one. And I love the authenticity of it too. This is great. So going back, oh, so Biden. So we got Biden, <clears throat> he's coming in. We have, so every president that comes in has 18 months to actually get their agenda out. And this president specifically has a 100 day agenda that is absolutely fierce. And he is a very strong pro-employee president, pro-labor president. We've also got the complexities mixed in with the coronavirus, COVID-19 and the vaccines. So the things that we should be expecting as businesses within the first 100 days is that he is going to advocate and he will, I have every confidence in the world this will happen, he is going to push for $15 minimum wage, all right? He can do that first off by launching an executive order and pushing that down to government contracts because his executive power permits him to do that. So that's only like maybe 2% of the companies in the business that takes place in the United States. Mm -hmm. So if you look at business as a whole, about 49% is small business, 51 is large, and of the 49, 23% are single proprietors, right? Single owners, right? You're solopreneurs. Of the 49%, I think it's about 2%. I have yet to figure out that exact number, but it's very, very marginal for federal contractors, and it's a, a place that I play in as well. So they can, exec they can put that on, and there's way more compliance on government contracting, and it can potentially open up opportunity to come into public space and, and public law, like fire departments, police departments, public utilities, and also into private companies like yours. Mm. So if they find that it works over in the government contracting area, their sister, little sister you know, organizations like the Department of Labor say, hey, you know what, that's a good thing. Let's go focus over here. Right. Not uncommon. And that's what happened with pay data. And then now we've got states that are now opening up. So California has pay data and pay data reporting, right? It's a really good example. New York City already has that. That doesn't even have anything to do with government contracting. So other states are now starting to adapt and adopt these different types of things. What does that do for you? It opens up a lot of opportunity for people to understand what your competitive rates are. Uh, are you, do you have any violations in there? In other words, do you have any disparity between people? And that's when I need to come to you and say, hey, people issue time. This is what we've got coming down the pike. So we've got minimum wage, we've got the vaccine, and right now, a lot of people are not aware of this, but the federal government is on a policy freeze. So they're reviewing a lot of the employment laws right now, or not laws, but employment policy, to figure out how to move forward. A lot of these executive orders, everything's on hold right at the moment. So they're going through this mass review, and I've never ever seen this before. And what they're looking for is opportunities to make shift, to meet whatever agenda that they're focused in on, whether it's good, well, we think it's good, bad, or indifferent, this is what they're doing. And ultimately, they'll wind up putting that out. One of the things that is problematic is this is like my number one rule of thumb in government contracting. The same body of government that tells you that you have to follow this law is the same body of government that's going to put you in a position to violate it, right? Mm. Now let's take a look at the vaccine. So we already talked about discrimination, religion, right? We already talked about that stuff. Now we've got OSHA who's coming in and now they're starting to say, well, you have to do this, this, and this. And other areas of the government are now starting to say, yeah, but that's in conflict. You know, OSHA is saying we have to keep your company safe, but yet you can't discriminate against, like, how do you do this? They, they, they're starting to overlap. And now the states are starting to put out their own regulations. They are not playing together. And it gets very complex. 
Mm, that'll be fun. And very, <laughs> very expensive on top of it. Very, very expensive. Well, you know the key to that. Make more money. Yeah, you make more money by <laughs> making your products more expensive, and then yeah. you pay your employees less. Exactly. And then what you have in the middle is your profit. Yeah, and I, I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's a formula I mean, you do that make does more, happen. You, yeah, you, yeah, it, yeah, it, does, it does actually. It does. It, it, it does, and that that is what's going to happen because yeah. employers are way too wily to get screwed. In other words, there's yeah. no way that I'm going to work harder and make less money. Absolutely. I'm going to find a way to lower the. Maybe it's a, like a, currently in our company. If things get so bad, why wouldn't I take the 21 days of PTO, pay time off, and bring it down to two? Mm -hmm. And then why wouldn't I take away the high quality health insurance, health benefits, and bring a lower quality in? Why wouldn't I raise the prices of my products? Why wouldn't I lower pay? And you do these in certain areas and you go, oh, look at that. I'm still complying. The people suffering are my customers and my employees. That's right. And sadly, that's typically what happens. And that's really what happened when we started shipping things and getting things made in Taiwan and China, et cetera, because mm -hmm. we just didn't want to pay the employee wages out here and deal with the litigations that came with that, which yep. is really unfortunate. And, and what's also unfortunate is that all of these changes that I just mentioned are coming down at 100% cost to the employer. There's no benefit. There's no break. The Families First Coronavirus Response Act, that ended in December 31st. Right? That is one of the only things where a company can actually get a dollar-for-dollar dollar tax credit. Now, we talk about increasing minimum wage. Well, what happens if your price points aren't priced well? To, to compensate for that, then we have your formula that starts kicking in. You have to reevaluate, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to take something away in order to increase somewhere else for viability. Um, there, and, and there's just so many different things that are going to come out of this. Uh, one of the things that I saw that they're talking about with OSHA is actually um, requiring companies to provide, um, potentially provide time off. That Maryland is actually working on that. Manded, mandate it just as three days of bereavement. There's no such thing out there for that right now. Hmm. You know, how would I be able to walk and say, hey, Pedro's, guess what? We need, to, we need to do bereavement pay and... Here's the numbers. You're going to look at me like, you have three heads. <laughs> like, what does it matter with That's you? Crazy, if right? I don't sell this to you, right. And, it, and it's hard. And it's going to continue to get even more complex. Because right now, it's, our, our environment is very much a what's in it, what's in it for us. And, and it's, in my opinion, it's being pushed out in the eyes of how do we protect our employees. But there's so many different agendas out right now. And you have to keep your eye on the ball. You absolutely have to. I mentioned earlier about OSHA. OSHA read up that they are looking at possibly requiring companies to provide some form of reimbursement. Now, we don't know what that is. This is just chatter. The bill is in the process of being put together, or the guidelines, I should say. If that's the case, that could violate with the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. which no longer permits you to do that, and companies get fined every single day that they do it. So again, there's that conflict that's going to take place. Fun times ahead. I'm saying, right? <laughs> Fun times ahead, yep. So what are, you, what are you seeing coming down the pike as far as, I mean, you're in California. You've got a lot of things going on here. What are some of the things, if you were a, a newbie starting over again, that wish you could do it differently, what would you do? Well, well, I think in many ways a newbie has a lot of great advantages because you don't have all this baggage of understanding. And so a newbie is, I almost look at it as, I'm like an established 
cruise ship. Mm -hmm. And if a cruise ship is going in one direction and it realizes it has to go the other way, it's going to take many hours, one degree at a time, to go the other way. Um, whereas you look at a speedboat, it can just whip around and go the other way the moment it realizes it's going the wrong way. And I say that because when you're not established, when you're a newbie coming into the entrepreneurial space, you're really not looking at HR and hiring practices and all that stuff. Like, I remember I hired people as 1099 employees when and I didn't know any better. They should have been actual employees, not 1099 independent contractors, right? right? It wasn't because I was trying to be malicious. And quite honestly, back then, when I, like, when I was my first and second employee, no one was going to come and get me. No one was going to come and find me. I wasn't a big fish, right? Today, if I did that, and if I did it, it would be knowingly because I know better. It's a different story. Mm -hmm. It's a different story. So I think the new entrepreneur <clears throat> still has a lot of great opportunity. And I think, look, existing entrepreneurs, big entrepreneurs, I have lots of great opportunity. We can always work around any limitation that we're given because the human psyche is, one, there's a lot of creativity, and two, is very resilient. So I can overcome anything. And it doesn't matter if I have to overcome federal or state regulations. And I'm not saying by breaking the laws, it's just, again, I can find creative ways to increase the price points of my product to lower operational costs. Um, but but it, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks because you don't become an entrepreneur because, hey, I want to, you know, see if I can cut someone's pay and their pay time off and lower their 401k and all these health benefits, et cetera. You become an entrepreneur because you want to help people and you've got this vision. It's going to make the world a better place. But as the regulations start tightening up, you soon realize that, oh, it's a very different playing field. Yeah. And as long as you understand the rules of the game, you can play it. Um, since we have a mutual friend in common, Jason yep. Redmond. Absolutely. Right? Uh, former Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL. He, he explained to me how just during his season, during the... Uh, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan war, how the rules of engagement changed and changed and got tougher and tougher and tougher yeah. to a point where now, not only, if I know he's a bad guy, but he doesn't have a rifle, I can't shoot him. If he picks up that rifle, it used to be that I can. Now he can pick up the rifle and he has to take the first shot at us. Now I can shoot him. So the rules, but he's like, he goes, B, the good news is there were still bad shots. And so when they took the shot, right? When they That's took the totally shot, Jason. yeah, they missed. That gave us a green light to kill him. Yeah, exactly. So as long as he understood the rules of yeah. the game, they still win. Absolutely. And that's how the entrepreneur operates. Yeah. Absolutely. That's funny. That is absolutely Jason all yeah. the way right, right? there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Will and all the other guys that we know. That's pretty awesome. One of the things that I find interesting is that even though sometimes when people know the rules of engagement, they may know the expectation, we're still human beings. And we have this little person here and this little person here. It's your angel and your devil. And they, they don't always play nice. And I, my number one live and die rule in life is that in the absence of information, people make stuff up. We as humans cannot, we're not comfortable with ambiguity. We're not comfortable. We have to justify everything. Mm -hmm, and if yeah. you don't believe me, watch a young person date. <laughs> and you'll, you'll see it all come out. But... When you make a course correction, you make a change, or you may not have communicated something, 
on the HR side of it. And I think this is a really great avenue to go down because I think from your perspective, like what advice you would give to a HR person to open up communication to a CEO? What would you have preferred when you were 36 years old and shooting from the hip sure. to prevent somebody from taking on that narrative? It's just like, oh, he's being such a jerk and I can't believe he's doing this and it's, he wants to get me fired. And just because there's no communication, how, what kind of tips would you give a, an HR person to be able to say, I need you to come talk to me, but this is how I need you to do it. Because they don't have a lot of courage doing that. They don't, and I think it comes from several places. So one, they have to develop that confidence muscle, right? Mm -hmm. Have the confidence <clears throat> to walk up to your CEO or whoever is in charge and say, we need to have a conversation or that conversation is gonna have to happen. Like, you can't just be a standing, because I also know this about me, if I don't value what you do in my company, we're probably just gonna have a quick tell me now conversation, mm -hmm. standing here, whatever. Hey, we might have to set up an hour or two in the conference room to meet tomorrow, how's that work for you? So just do that, have the confidence to voice that. Number two, don't just assume that the person's too busy. I'm always busy, there's never gonna be time in my schedule. Right. If you're waiting for my schedule to lighten up, guess what, you're never gonna That's have that never conversation. Happen. Yeah, so just find your way into my schedule and don't just go, I thought you were busy and you didn't wanna talk. Find your way into the person's schedule. Number three, Sell me, going back to what we said. Understand what it is that I want most. I want to have the most Fit Body Bootcamp locations possible across the United States and Canada and Europe, blah, blah, blah. Great. How can I help you do that, Pedros? I think I can help you do that where the human resources are concerned. But let's both be on the same page where the vision, mission, day-to-day -day actions are concerned. You're probably the type of CEO that's going to have an intuition, mm -hmm. right? Because I operate a lot of intuition. I'm good with that that this person's not a good fit for us, why do we need to go through the three strikes? Might as well just part with them now and onward with a new person. And so, just so you know, we do have to give them three strikes because we're in California. Like, explain the rules of the game to me. Yeah. I don't know California's rules. If I actually had to gather all the rules of the game from federal to state to municipal, <laughs> I don't know that. So like, take the time to educate me, but let me know that you're on my team. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to communication, Sell me on the idea why you're actually going to help me achieve my outcome faster. Uh, and, and don't be afraid for with the little friction. We have these meetings uh, every Tuesday called the L10 meeting in my office. Level 10 meeting is from uh, EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. I think every company should be running their business off EOS. And they should all read the book Traction that kind of tells you what it's about. But uh, at the end of an L10 meeting, the integrator the person who's in charge of kind of keeping the 90 minute meeting on track, goes around and goes, all right, rate the meeting, one through 10. And whenever we have a bit of a blowout in there and there's friction, I'm always rating at a 9.9 .9 or a 10. Most other people for a while, like, oh, it's a seven, it was an eight. I'm like, hey guys, why is it that like your sevens and eights are my nines and tens and your nines and tens are my sevens and eights? I like friction. I think conflict does create clarity. So it's okay to have a little conflict with your CEOs. Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying let's throw chairs around at each other, but I am saying that we ought to consider like having a little pushback either yeah. way to acid test an idea. Mm -hmm. Acid test your, I wanna acid test my, my HR's, HR person's commitment to their, so like, hey, tell me why we ought to do that. Well, how much is it gonna cost me? Well, I don't know what it's gonna cost me. Well, go figure it out. How come you gonna come in here figuring it out? I'm, I'm going to talk to you like that. It doesn't mean that you're an a-hole. It just simply means that next time, Be ready. if you're going to try and sell me an idea, <clears throat> you better have all, yep. you better anticipate all the questions yep. that I'm going to have.
Yeah. Right? Because then the perception on my end might be that you're unprepared. Right, exactly. And if you're unprepared, do you really care for my business? Right? Or do you really have my back? Or do you really have my back? That's a big one. Every CEO needs to feel like the HR has their back. Yeah. And so to that point, I think there is an obligation on the side of the HR person to go to the most bullheaded, conflict-driven CEO and go, hey, I need to talk to you. And it can't just be in the passing moment. It has to be an hour meeting. And I need your full attention. So you can't be here. Mm -hmm. I've been known to be here while you're talking to me. My daughter has a really good job. She kind of grabs my face and tilts it up and she goes, hey, dad, right? And, oh, oh, I learned my lesson. Yeah. And I sometimes wish my team members would do that. Yeah. Because information is coming at me from 20 different directions. Yep. And for me to survive all that, I might have to try and listen while I'm here. But I realize that you want my full attention. Ask me, Bedros, can you put that down for a moment? Sure. Yep. Sure. But Absolutely. you have to have the confidence and the balls to do that. If not, I'm just going to steamroll over you because that's what a driver does. And if you're an eagle and a dove... You want the driver. Otherwise, we're going to have the most perfect product that's never going to be sold. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, and it just doesn't work. I mean, if you can't stop somebody in their tracks and just say, hey, listen, we need to look at the fail points on this. And that's mm-hmm. something that the, that the, they do in the SEAL teams. They, they find, they actively engage in finding the fail points. What are the fail points? And, you know, what you were just talking about, Reminds me, I've, I've told this a couple times on, but I've never really told it to this degree. So years ago, I had a client who had a near stabbing that took place. And so it was a very fast moving event. Uh, short version of the story, we had two employees. They, they met at the time clock. One I called the offender, the other one I called the instigator. Uh, the instigator came up, <clears throat> dropped an F-bomb and, you know, a couple other things. And the offender got really ticked off. They went their separate ways, two completely separate buildings. The instigator came back to the offender <clears throat> Gave him kind of like a little mental and ego nudgy, right? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know it, the offender stood up, grabbed the company's utility knife, held it up to his face. He says, if you do that again, I am going to slit you from ear to ear. What people didn't know, he was a prior police officer who was physically trained to manipulate and handle that kind of situation. My phone's blowing up. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm three and a half hours away at a meeting. My phone's blowing up. I said, excuse me, I apologize. I need to get this. Clearly, it's important. <clears throat> they tell me what's happening. I said, where are they right now? Well, they're in separate buildings. I said, good. You keep them in separate buildings. I said, I want you to call the police, and I want this guy professionally removed. I'm just a consultant, and I'm telling them what to do, right? I said, he needs to be professionally removed. And the CEO's, and he's, he's a very good friend of mine today still, <clears throat> and he said, great, I'm going to go on the floor. I said, no, you're not. You and I are going to stay up. You got you have a senior HR person, you have an executive VP of manufacturing. They can handle that environment. That's their job. We need to keep you away because the last thing I need you is on the, on the witness stand of a case if this thing goes sideways. You and I are going to sit and figure out the appropriate response. Do we need to bring in the EAP? And all the time that this is going in, it's, it's disrupting business, right? We can't get product out. We're now, orders are being delayed. People are being paid. So I'm watching in my head all these numbers, and then I'm thinking, well, oh, my gosh, what happens if this goes sideways? Now we have a liability insurance issue. Like, all these things are just coming at you Mm. to make these decisions. But the most important thing was, what is your response as the CEO? That's key right now. And that's how you stop the freight train from moving forward. And that's when I realized that, you know what, there's a lot of crisis management in this as well. And we had, we had a great response. We brought into the EAP on Monday. Um, the funny thing was they had like five employees out of 135. 
that wanted to talk and the big thing that we learned is that some people were upset that they could only take a 30-minute lunch break so we fixed that too <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah, that was about it so you know it gets hairy and it gets dodgy and the owner of the company came up screaming at us you know the next day we were on site chewing my backside out and he's like i could have handled it you should have just called me i said you had been the first one dead and people are like, well, I can't believe she just said that to the owner of the company. I'm like, it's the truth. It's my job. Protect you. It's what I got to do. So simmer down. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that is, I believe, what's required. Now, yeah. I can't imagine in all the HR training that the, an HR person rep goes through that any of that social skill is taught. No, that's learned. Right? That is learned. Right. So look how poorly equipped yeah. that HR rep goes into an organization against a type A driver. Exactly. Holy crap. The <laughs> no odds are kidding. stacked against him or her. Yeah. And those are the people I deal with on a regular basis. Those are the people that are listening to this, and that's why we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I greatly appreciate it. So what kind of questions do you have for me? Well, i got to tell you, the only real question that I have for you is in the process of knowing that you did everything right, because mm -hmm. I know a lot of entrepreneurs deal with this, and the pro no knowing that you did everything right in parting ways with someone, and let's say they still lawyer up and say that I was wrongfully terminated. Mm -hmm. And any way I slice, and this, is, this, this has happened to me recently, and I was like, gosh, I wish I could really ask someone to go, if I go back, how could I do things differently? And every way we look at it, we can't, we can't figure it out. But we did everything right mm -hmm. in writing that person up. We have a paper trail, et cetera. <clears throat> but they're saying that they were wrongfully terminated. The act of... Them lawyering up means we have to lawyer up, so it's costing, costed us right. money. And if we go to arbitration or mediation, it's going to cost us money. If we let it go to an actual legal battle in the courts, it's going to cost us money. It's obvious that that person isn't paying the lawyer. The lawyer is going to get a chunk of the money if there's a win, mm -hmm. right? And so what does an entrepreneur do? What does a business owner do in that point? Because now it's taken up my HR person's time. It's taken up my attorney's time. It's costing me money. It's mm -hmm. taken up my time when it's like, well, let's have a meeting with Pedro's. And I'm like, what? what the fuck did I do wrong? Other than seeing that we try to correct, we try to correct, we have the paper trail. And then now you're saying that <clears throat> it was a wrongful termination and because we live in a, in a state like California that's employee-friendly, yeah. that could happen. But I imagine there's other states that mm -hmm. this could happen in. And what does a person in my shoes do to prevent that for the next time and the next time and the next time? Yeah, that's a really difficult situation because that is what lives in everybody's head, right? And it lives rent-free, unfortunately. Um, in, in your situation, you've got the complexity of California, and there's nothing out there, there's nothing out there that prohibits an employee from filing a claim. Now we've got states that are opening up. Usually people would have to go through the EEOC, Equal Opportunity Commission, if they felt that they were discriminated against or wrongful termination or, you know, whatever, right? Do you think protected under Title VII? There's nothing that prevents them to do that, but there is a process in place that actually helps weed through some of those details. And depending on the type of claim that is filed or type of court case that could be filed, 
<clears throat> the burden of evidence will lie either on one or two parties. It's either going to lie on the party of the employee, where the employee is required to prove that they, yes, in fact, were discriminated against or wrongfully terminated, or depending on the type of case that they're going to file, means that the employer is responsible. There are times where you have done everything right. Couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't do it any better, and that's still going to happen. And it is, unfortunately, the cost of doing business. Now, there's a couple of things. So first off, you do have uh, liability insurance. So you can launch that claim. The downside of that, your rates could come up in your renewal. That's a possibility, but that will definitely save your capital and your cash, right? The other piece of it is, is that attorneys who are pursuing cases like this will only pursue them if they feel there's a real benefit to it. So as you're going through this process, it's very likely if your documentation is good, if it's solid, if you can demonstrate you have given the employee every opportunity to fix an undesired behavior and move it into a desired behavior, you've got more working on your favor. Unfortunately, you just have to go through the pain of demonstrating it. That's Which, the hard again, part. Everything you've said still costs it money. You know, <clears throat> money. Absolutely. Right? And time. And time. The good news is, is that typically that amount of pain is less when you do things right. It doesn't happen as often. You can catch things in advance. But clearly, you, I mean, it sounds like you guys, without knowing the details, it sounds like you had a good strategy in place. It's just, I think yeah, this person is pushing it. And everything worked out fine, but it's, it. but it's unfortunate that, <clears> in fact, in the end, the attorney just blatantly came out and said, look, it's going to cost you guys more yeah. if you let this go to court. Yep. So do you guys just want to settle for 27000 Like, no. Yeah. And then I just dug in my heels and said, we're not going to settle for anything. Yeah. So then it went away. But it still cost me money. It did. And I think it ended up costing us about 17000 bucks. Yep. There's a lot of things I could have done with that 17 Gs. Yep. You could have put it back into your company, mm -hmm. put it back into your people. Yep. But you know, what's also a fact, too, is that you know, as you progress, I mean, you're very successful. You become a bigger target. And that's one of the, unfortunately, one of the things that comes along with that. Bigger companies become a bigger target. You know, right. more success means a yep. bigger target. And, and unfortunately, that's the nature of what it is. But yeah, you get to that point. But there's so many businesses out there that won't do what you did. And they won't make that $350 an hour phone call to their employment attorney and say, hey, listen, I need to do this. And next thing you know it, now they're facing a $350,000 lawsuit. Right. That's a big yeah. mistake. That's, that's a painful mistake. That is a very painful yeah, mistake. I agree. <laughs> so. I agree. Yep. Well, I got to tell you, um, for me, it's been a learning experience this whole journey as uh, working with HR and working with humans. I, I really believed that, it, being naive, I believed that I could bring on people just like me who would be driven and care for this thing, but then you realize, wait a minute, they don't have the same reward if there's a win that I do. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they won't risk what I'm willing to risk. Right. And again, it, it was a byproduct of being naive. So if there's anything that your listeners could take away from this, it is that when you're a young entrepreneur and you're naive, you think that everyone's going to work at your capacity, at your level of commitment, and they're just going to have the, an intense amount of focus on your business. And at the end of the day, no one loves your baby like you do. No, I do not. No one's, no one's going to love your yeah. business like you do. And it was a great lesson to learn for me, and I've learned it and moved on. And to me now, it's one of those things where I've got a great HR rep who 
we're on the same page, we speak the same language, and things work out fine. And I'm sure we'll have another bump in the road. Like you said, you kind of bake that cost into the business. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So if people could find you, people wanted to start following you and find you and learn more about what you do, how can they do that? Uh, best place is on Instagram, at um, bedroskulian.com. Very wonderful. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This thank is you, really, Brenda. thank you for having me on here. Yeah, this is fantastic. Appreciate I really appreciate it. Out. Thanks. Wasn't that absolutely awesome? Bedros did such a great job, man. I'll tell you what, he captured everything that we've been kind of leading up to talking about that that real serious relationship that has to exist between an HR pro or an HR champion and a CEO. And from his lips, you guys got a chance to hear everything that I keep saying, didn't prompt him, didn't do anything. He got a chance to tell you what is in the mind of a CEO. Guys, take this and run with it. Make it yours. Own it. Profit from it, right? Really, really take your HR skills and grow from there. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being part of 100 episodes. 100 episodes. That's incredible. I never thought in a million years, honestly, when I started this podcast, that I'd reach 100 episodes three years ago. So you guys are awesome. I'm looking forward to figuring out what I'm going to do for episode 200. And you know what? I'm excited to see where we go with this. So let have an awesome rest of your day. Get out there. Crush it. Go do good stuff. Have your conversations with your CEOs. Make a difference in the world. And we will talk to you next time.